Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome in to the great Scott show, the great sports callers open think tank. How you feeling, everybody? Happy to have you with me on this Tuesday morning. Monday night football last night in Baltimore. Guys, it's Patrick Mahomes' world, and we're all just living in it. I mean, that dude, whew. It wasn't Lamar Jackson's best performance, and best players in the league have off days sometimes. Except apparently Patrick Mahomes, last time that dude had an off day on the football field. Man, oh, man. What a performance by Patrick Mahomes. We're going to get into a review of NFL's week three. Apparently, the the NHL season ended last night, and I'm not even going to lie. I didn't know until I woke up this morning. It might sound bad, right? Oh, you know, you both sports talk radio. I'm just telling you. I, I woke up. I was like, oh, the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. I remember back when they won it in 2004. Against the Calgary Flames. I remember watching it. I did not watch their game against the Dallas Stars. I did not see a Stanley Cup ceremony with no fans up in Edmonton, which is closer to the North Pole, literally, than it is here to Lafayette, Louisiana. But, shout out to the Lightning, right? Usually the most most hockey we talk on this show is after a team wins the Stanley Cup. Sorry. We will get into the Cajuns, the Tigers, the Saints, the Pelicans reported interest in Doc Rivers. We got two awesome guests. Chris Lana will join me at 7.15. Always laying it out on the line, talking Cajun football. Emery Hunt, another Raging Cajun alum, owner and CEO of Football Game Plan, czar of the playbook, TV host, and a guy that is very dialed in to the NFL and college football. Looking forward to chatting with Emery at the uh, start of the 8 o'clock hour. Patrick Mahomes, man. I mean, this is his league until it isn't. Eric Bieniemy, Eric sleeping with Bieniemy. As the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, how much fun is it to run an offense when you've got Patrick Mahomes? As Kalei Campbell, who's a beast, now the Baltimore Ravens said after the game, they don't give that guy a half a billion dollars for no reason. He just made play after play. 385 yards, four touchdowns, ran for another 26 and another score. I mean, Baltimore's defense, they tried to blend, he'd burn them. They sat back, played zone coverage, he'd burn them. I mean, there was a, a a a brief period of some conservative play calling in the third quarter. And other than that, you know, it, it was really just Chiefs kind of rocking and rolling, right? I mean, the dude threw touchdowns to Anthony Sherman and Eric Fisher for Pete's sake. 31 of 42, throwing off-balance bombs. 
I don't know if it's because we're in the year 2020, and I'm not talking about the the weird year that is 2020. I just mean that we're so far along in sports that we see these incredible athletic feats, and we take them for granted. Honestly, if you could go back to the 90s, and someone said, let's, let's go back to 1995. How about them Cowboys? The Cowboys were still really good. Winning Super Bowls, the Niners were still good. The running backs were the absolute stars of the league. Quarterbacks were stars too, but running backs really. And you said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a time machine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what the future of football looks like." And you just go and you show them that game last night, and you just show them Patrick Mahomes highlights. Let me tell you something. In 1995, we all would have flipped our lid. Are you kidding me? He's throwing it how far? He's throwing it like what? He's running backwards? He's throwing it to old lineman? He's wait, he's throwing across his body as he's rolling out one way and it's a bomb and it's a, wait, he, on the on the run darts. We flip our lid. And yet you watch Mahomes sometimes and and it I don't take it for granted, but holy cow. I got nothing against the Chiefs either or the Ravens for that matter. I like both of those franchises. I mean, I'm a Saints fan, but like there's nothing. There's no, there's, there's never been a reason for me not to like either of those teams. I mean, the job that Ozzie Newsom has done in Baltimore, building that, that team year in, year out. And then of course, Andy Reid and the Chiefs, and they got a good fan base and I'm just watching two teams. I felt like Rob Lowe just just wearing the NFL hat. Okay, I'll root for both teams here tonight. I just want to watch some good football. And who knows? We're in week three. It's 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 COVID year. A lot's going to change between now and then. But I feel pretty good about at least the Chiefs Super Bowl pick. I mean, John Harbaugh put it very succinctly after the game. The head coach of Baltimore said, yeah, they're a better football team right now. No need no need to sugarcoat it. No need to just, no coach speak. Just lay it out, John. Good job. I mean, in, in, in the mid-90s, in the, in the 2000s, the early 2000s, I mean, you could still just run the ball, elite defense. Let's go. In 2020, man. You've got to have really strong quarterback play. And nothing is stronger right now than what Mahomes is doing. And Russell Wilson's doing amazing things, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's putting up some sick numbers. But that just felt like Mahomes' world, and we were just living in it. Just doing whatever he wanted. Now, next week, you got New England. And I I don't care that it's a short week, whatever. I've, I've, I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. I mean, the Ravens are, are probably their biggest threat in the AFC. Lamar Jackson is the reigning MVP. He's great. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't incredible last night by his standards. But like it was just it was it was the Patrick Mahomes show last night. 
It was the Patrick Mahomes show. That was awesome. Oh, and by the way, if you went back to 1995, who was the Chiefs quarterback in 1995? Anybody remember? Anybody remember? In 1995, the Chiefs quarterback was Steve Bono. It wasn't Montana. This was the year after Montana left. And the backup was Rich Gannon. So they actually had an MVP on their roster in 95, a quarterback, a guy that would win an NFL MVP seven years later just as the backup. But in 95, the Chiefs were 13-3. and And then they got bounced in the playoffs. They were 13-3. They were good. And if you had went and showed Chiefs fans, oh, yeah, you think you're good? Take a look at this 25 years from now. Look what you got a quarterback now. You can say you got a future NFL MVP on your roster right now. He's not even starting. But in 25 years, you're going to have a Super Bowl MVP and a guy that's won an NFL MVP. And look at the things he can do. Oh, my gosh. Again, they would have flipped their lid. Absolutely flipped it. That was, I mean, he's just, he's incredible. He's incredible. That's all I got to say. He's incredible. I like when I can watch an NFL game when it's, you know, I don't I don't necessarily have a rooting interest in a team one way or another. It's not like I'm rooting for the Saints or against the Falcons. It's just a game of two teams that I, Respect, have players on both teams that I like, and I get to be entertained because they're playing at a high level. That's what we got last night. Don't think you're going to get that Thursday night when um, the Broncos and the Jets face off, the battle of uh, Blake Bortles, the boat, and, and one Sam Darnold. Don't know that you're going to get that Thursday night. But last night, that was a hell of a game. That was a hell of a game. Um, again, shout out to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Stanley Cup Finals ended last night, and I did not watch it. I didn't even know that it was a situation where a team could win the Stanley Cup. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and try to break it down or go read some headline and be like, oh, yeah. Uh, but you got to give some credit. You know, Steve Yersman and that, you know, that core group, shout out to them. I mean, Blake Coleman was fantastic. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'll just say this. You have to go live in a san- heavily sanitized bubble in Edmonton for months and you win a Stanley Cup. I Forget about an asterisk, man. If you if you, you don't put an asterisk next to it, put a, put a star next to it because that is extra difficult to do. Congrats to them. ESPN 1420.com. Twelve minutes after. Email from Jay. He says, uh, do you remember Steve Bono's 70-plus yard touchdown run? At one time, the longest run by a quarterback in history. I don't. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. During the break, I'm going to have to YouTube that. That actually sounds amazing. It looks amazing in my head. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott Show continues after this. We're going to get to the bottom of the Raging Cajun football team. Real 
in-depth analysis from Chris Lano. He was there in person last Saturday. What has he seen? Cajuns missing a lot of players. Let me tell you something. Chris, like many of you, was watching Nate Snyder miss kicks and saying, oh, my God, something's got to change. And then he was sitting there when he booted a 53-yarder, and I don't know what his reaction was, but I'm sure that uh, – well, I know, I, I know he apparently um, gave a big chest bump. Or was it a fist bump to Brian Billy? Is he okay? Stay tuned. Chris Lano at 7.15. We got Emory Hunt coming up at 8 o'clock this morning. We got a great show for you. It's the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. It's also Patrick Mahomes' world, guys. We're just living it. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Don't go anywhere. We're right back after this. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the show, everybody. Weather update for you. I got a hoodie on now. Some fleece. That's right. It is sunny, high today of 74 tonight. It is cool and clear and a low of 53. The rain brought with it cool weather. Joining us now, Raging Cajun alum and a guy that uh, is very in tune with the Raging Cajun football product. That would be Mr. Chris Lano, who joins us now on the phone line. Good morning, Chris. How are you, brother? Good morning, Scott. How are you? Good, man. I'm good. Let's uh, let's dig into some Cajun football here for a moment. And they are uh, they are three and zero, a thrilling win. And uh, I want you to be completely honest. When Nate Snyder lined up to kick a uh, potential game winning fifty three yard field goal, where was your confidence level, Chris, and whether or not he would make it? Well, I'm I'm standing uh, on the home side, towards near the corner of that end zone. So I had a, I had a good little angle to watch the kick. But um, you know, when he was lining up for the entire second half, I'm with my wife and I'm with the general manager for Raging Cage Sports Properties for Learfield, uh, Brian Billy, and he's telling me as he's going line up to listen, man. This this guy, I mean, Napier has been talking about him, you know, a lot the last couple of weeks, and I've been watching him at practice. He nails. 60 yarders during practice. We knew he had the ability to kick a 60 yard field goal. So it was lined up for 53. So I think he had confidence going in. He just had to get a good little, you know, had to get good touch on it with a good trajectory to get uh, through the uprights. Now, what I will say is this, and I, I pointed this out to Brian before he, he, while he was lining up the play before with the little, the uh, the little out route to Trey Regas coming out of the backfield to the left side of the field. I thought that was by design because if you notice with Snyder on all of his kicks, I believe he has pushed everything right. So I think it was by design to try to get him lined up along the left, the left hash mark. So therefore, he could just kick it straight because every he was pushing everything right in the first three weeks of the season. So. I thought that boded well going into that kick as well, and, and just the fact that we knew he had the leg to kick a 50-plus yarder. And as soon as he kicked it, we saw he had the leg. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the end zone, the fans' reaction. I'm trying to, I'm trying to point out Dr. Maggard and Nico who are on, uh, right past the uprights to see if their hands are going to be going up. And from that point, it just all looked promising and good for that kid. And, uh, you know, it's like he resurrected from the dead. And 
definitely needed that, the confidence going forward, especially against App State on the road and boom, where we're going to need them to kick more. So while all of those other intangibles went into it, your confidence level was not exceptionally high. Is that fair to say? Not exceptionally. <laughs> I, don't think, I think it applies. I just, think it applies I to mean, a lot he, of people. He nailed <laughs> so it, though, dude. We, 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 you know, it was funny because we, we were listening to a lot of the uh, reactions of uh, fans after the kick and also what they were mentioning before. And one guy talked about, man, I just had open-heart surgery. I don't know if I can handle this. And <laughs> other people were kind of joking around. They were having to go through cardiac arrest. But, uh, but, but you know, it's just good teams find a way to win. And I think back in the day during my time, you know, we wouldn't have won those kind of games, although we did against Kansas State with a, with a miraculous field goal with, with Tyler Arbrick uh, um, kicking one with time expiring. But, Good teams, you know, they find a way to win in situations like this, and we're a good football team. And, you know, we, we, we have to overcome a lot of adversity through four quarters, but we're getting it done, and hopefully we can continue to uh, get it done for the remainder of the season. It's better to be lucky than good, I'll say that. It was, uh, well, it, w- it was awesome, man. It was really good stuff. And um, just, you know, to have uh, to have that redemption in that moment for Snyder. And, and look, all of his misses this year was never about distance. And, I mean, that was the thing. They were all short. It just the accuracy. So for him to just lay into it, to get it on the left hash mark where if he's kicking along when he made it very clear, that's where that's where it's better to be. Um, you know, the hole was good. The laces went out just a little bit, and he nailed it. And so the Cajuns are 3-0. and But assessing it, Chris Lino, our guest, Rage and Cajun analyst, former alum, what – um. What stood out to you? Like, like, let me rephrase the question. How much analysis can you really put on the shelf long-term or just utilize it for one game when you're missing as many players as they were missing? Does that question make sense? No, it does, and you can't because uh, you go in with uh, so many guys missing you know, I'm just looking at it right here. Just Elijah Mitchell, Max Mitchell, Joe Dillon, Taylor Humphrey, AJ Washington, Cameron Sullivan, and Dante Fleming. These are Chauncey Manack, you know, that, that was another Chauncey big one. Manack, who was a late scratch. And, and just for the people who are listening in, they don't quite understand it. It's the contact tracing that really hit us. It's that weekend. You know, just just to get into this a little bit, we, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but the 14 days, it, it, it's that's what gets me in. You know, the average person is going to manifest an infection in five days, and I just feel like we should be treating the average as opposed to the outlier. Then you can have a four or five days, and it would be a lot easier to rectify. So the whole thing, I just think, is shenanigans, but I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm, I don't set that rule. I don't know. But the whole time, uh, Friday and, and Saturday morning, I just kept thinking, we better not lose a football game over this. Now, some guys did test positive. I understand that, but a lot of these guys have to miss due to contact tracing, and that's something you can get into later on with somebody else with more information about that. But, uh, you know, Talon Humphrey, I think missing the two offensive linemen, or I'm sorry, the, the two linemen in Talon Humphrey and Max Mitchell on the other side is what really hurt us uh, because they really, you know, missing those guys, it takes away what we really want to do offensively and defensively. You look at defensively with all those guys missing, and I want to say just along the front, the defensive front, we may have had four or five guys who are unavailable for that game. So we line up in a 2-4 defense. 
So with, with only two true defensive linemen, for the most part of the game, it was Zion Hill and Jaquan Nelson. So we were trying to do what we can to get our best players on the field, which was a lot of our outside linebackers. And A.J. Riley with not a whole lot of playing experience, but a good, talented player. And uh, Andre Jones and your two inside backers. So I think it wasn't so much about scheme going into that game. It was trying to find a way, what kind of personnel can we go out with that gets our best overall personnel? We just got to get our best players on the field because we don't have anybody available. And, of course, we line up with five DBs because in a game against Georgia Southern, you've got to be able to run side to side. You've got to be able to scrape along the outside and, and maintain leverage against an option team. So, I mean, defensively, I thought we did a, an, an exceptional job. We bend at the beginning, but we did not break. And, you know, I, I just remember thinking that Saturday morning heading to the game, you just got to get through this week. Just, you just got to get through this week, get through the win, and, uh, and get, get, have a nice little 11-day layoff until you have to travel to Boone, North Carolina, and eventually play Appalachian State. And hopefully everybody can come back healthy and, because you're going to need your entire arsenal to beat Appalachian State in Boone, as we all know. Yeah, hopefully uh, Chris Lano, Rage Occasion, alum and analyst, our guest, ESPN 1420. Hopefully it, it plays out that way. You know, Coach Napier told me yesterday morning on the show they're expecting to have the bulk of their roster, but there is just so much unknown, you know. I mean, he doesn't know what could happen between now and then, but the fact that that game is on a Wednesday and not next Saturday and you brought up the 14-day contact trace, that certainly helps in that regard. Um, but to uh, to get the win and remain undefeated, you know, in terms of the polls, uh, I asked Coach Napier about it yesterday. He said it wasn't a surprise. You know, the polls will take care of themselves. It is more of a a fan discussion, but I know that you are a big fan. Uh, were you surprised? I wasn't. I mean, disappointed, sure, not surprised. Were you surprised they fell out of both polls? And um, what's your take on the – I don't know, just just that that topic in general. I wasn't surprised, and personally, unlike everybody else you saw on Twitter, I was a little bit satisfied about it because I'm one, I'd rather beat a hunter than to beat a hunted, especially having to go on the road against a hungry Appalachian State, which, let, let, let's face it, we owe those guys. I mean, we owe them. There's a better word I like to use, but I can't uh, you know use properly for radio, but... We owe we we owe Appalachian State, and I'd rather go in with a little bit of, of a chip on our uh, on our, you know, on our shoulders, being unranked, feeling a little bit disrespected. All that Scott is going to sort itself out. We all know that. Who cares what what's being said or what the rankings show after week three? It, it, that doesn't bother me one bit. I'm I wasn't surprised. I'm sure a lot of people were not surprised by it. I'd like to uh, hear Emery's uh, take on that. I'm sure he's going to have a more in-depth analysis of like what he, uh, what, what, what he was thinking going in as far as the rankings after the week. Um, but for me, I just I think we need to get back on that the uh, the hunter stage, uh, that type of mindset that we've had all of last season coming coming below the radar, and uh, I, I just any type of advantage. Uh, emotional advantage that we can acquire going into Appalachia State. We're just going to need it because that's a very good ball club. They didn't miss a lot of players in the first game that they played this season. I know they're coming off a loss against Mar. Oh, I'm sorry, they, they played Campbell last week, but they had a very emotional loss a couple weeks ago, so they might be a little hungry in that aspect. And they're going to want to stay to remain. They're going to want to remain uh, 
they're going to want to remain at the gold standard in this league, but we just need to go out and just uh, make a statement win, and hopefully a few of our fan base can get out there. It's just a great time, a great atmosphere. But I'm looking forward to it. And just, But in the meantime, we've got to get healthy. Now, besides the contract tracing part of it, you know, we did suffer a couple injuries in Chris Smith and Peter LeBlanc. Uh, we'll get a diagnosis of that probably later in the week. So it's, it's going to be important to get those guys back and see where they are in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, uh, Coach told me yesterday he doesn't expect uh, a long-term issue with Chris Smith. Um, but, you know, wouldn't, you know, I, as he as he usually does, it wouldn't get into specifics, but, you know, uh, we think it's going to just be a matter of a couple of days to recover here. So hopefully that is, uh, that's true. Uh, certainly they could use him. And just having Trey Regas still, you know, I know that you, know, you got to see Imani Bailey a little bit. But when you got three running backs and then you're down to one, um, uh, Trey Regas is a good one to have back there. I mean, his, his catch is late in the game. I know he wasn't having a, you know, long average yards per run type of day. But so reliable, and um, you know, a guy that Coach Napier described as selfless. Um, you know, an incredible teammate. Just been here for a while, man. You know, redshirting and then playing the last four years. Someone you can rely on. Someone that's been in the ringer. Just to have him on that last drive. I mean, you see timely drops here and there. If 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 he just drops one of those passes, if he has one mistake at some point in that game, Chris, the Cajuns are two and one right now. I uh, I just have a lot of respect for Trey Regis and and everything he's been able to accomplish and just to to utilize him and have him there uh, as the last guy standing so to speak again nothing against Damani Bailey or T.J. Wisham but it's 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 those top three backs like it was last year and the only difference is it's not Kyle he's in the NFL now it's it's Chris Smith to have Regis still there his impact on that game you might look at a stat sheet. Had over 100 yards between his rushing and receiving collectively, but I think his impact is so much deeper than just what showed on the stat sheet last Saturday. Well, not only that, I mean, even go back to the HUD days, the HUD era when Trey Regas first came in, it was always a running back by committee type offense. And, of course, Napier picked up on that in his first year with the three guys in Calais, Mitchell, and Regas. So this was the first time you saw since his Shaw days at Arch, at Shaw back in high school where he prepped that he was the guy in an entire half. I mean, Imani Bailey, it wasn't a fumble, but you got to believe on the sidelines that, you know, he came in from one run and he fumbled towards the very end of the run. He let go of the ball and they wound up, uh, they wound up reviewing it, but his knee was down. And you have to believe from Coach Napier, Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can trust Amani Bailey just yet. He's a true freshman. He already let go of the ball uh, in early on in his touches. So i got to stick with my main horse in Trey Regas, and that's what he essentially did. He played the majority of the game in the second half when Chris Smith went out. Now, I will say Chris Smith, he was able to trot back onto the field in the second half. He was just roaming around the sidelines in uniform. But, of, of course, he didn't come back into the football game. So that was promising to see. I think he's going to be okay um, come Appalachian State Week, but it's going to be very important to have all three guys, plus Amanda Banley, who received a little bit of experience against Georgia Southern, yeah, who man. can really run. Man. He's a promising player, and uh, he's going to be a heck of a back for us in the years to come. Aragas certainly looked fresh on that last drive. He did not look fatigued at all. He's uh, he's in tremendous shape. And uh, of, of some of the new guys that had to play, 
um, and otherwise might not have. Who stood out to you for good reasons? I thought Riley did a good job along the outside linebacker position. I believe he was number 95 for the Rage of Cajun defense. And we always knew he was very athletic, had a lot of speed, and his number got called uh, because of, of the guys like Chris Moncrief and Chauncey Minnett going down. I thought he played very well. I thought uh, Amos out of New Iberia played exceptional last game at the cornerback position. He made some good plays on a deep post route, able to break up a ball from Shy Wirtz. And uh, I think our this freshman class have really stood out uh, this season so far. It's just a tremendous uh, signing class that we had uh, last December that are really flourishing uh, on this in this program. So th- those are a couple guys that come to mind. And just the way the style Imani Bailey, the way he runs the ball with just with total ferocity, I, I thought he looked good. He's he's going to get more touches as the season goes along. Uh, it was just a it was just a tough situation for him to be in. It, it was almost desperation. You want to try to get a guy experience uh, during a lot of garbage time in a game where you're up big, and um, you know. But in that case, you know, you just you're playing from behind. You, know, you you got to go with your big horses late in the game uh, when, when it's close and a big big rivalry against Georgia Southern. So that's another one to add. And I just think overall, it's just a good young core that we have going forward. Chris Lano, Rage Occasion analyst and alum, our guest, ESPN 1420. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott show talking Cajun football with Chris. Another Cajun alum, uh, Emery Hunt, uh, CEO and owner of Football Gameplay, going to join us at 8. We'll get some thoughts on the Cajuns for him, talk a lot of NFL football with Emery as well. But, um, Chris, to the point I made earlier, when you're as shorthanded as the Cajuns were Saturday, how much – real analysis you can put into that game in terms of the carryover and what comes next versus just isolating the analysis to that single game because you were missing a lot of guys you expect to have back. So with that disclaimer, uh, I'll ask you this every time we talk, but right now, what's your biggest concern with this football team? I think now, you know, it's very just reminiscent of what you see for the New Orleans Saints on Sundays. You know, the X factor has become Levi Lewis. And whoever thought we'd say that uh, with both guys. So, you know, it, it's almost like if Levi plays a good game and, he, and he's crisp from the pocket, he's solid, he makes good decisions, we're unbeatable. No one's going to beat us in our league. So I think just the inconsistencies that we're still seeing from him, you saw a few passes on the critical third down to Devin Pauley, who runs a dig route in the middle of the field. Uh, by the way, Devin Pauley has really stepped up big for us. And yeah, I made the comment last week that he could have been our fifth or sixth uh, string receiver. But I'll tell you what, the kid, you know, he, he shows a lot of heart. He runs very good routes and uh, he catches the ball whenever it's available. And he just overall, he's, just a heck of, he's been a heck of a receiver for us. But going back to what I'm saying about Levi Lewis, uh, it just the, the inconsistencies. And even on the touchdown throw, I believe it was the Earl Rogers early in the game. You know, that ball was vastly underthrown, and we got lucky enough to where Earl Rodgers had good separation on the cornerback to where the corner could not catch up and make a play on the ball. But even that play, uh, you know, it could have been disastrous for us in the end zone. But, 
You know, I, I just think um, – I, I don't think he's seen the field like he did. He's not surveying the field like he did a year ago. I think all that's going to come with time. It, it's a brand-new receiving core. You know, you lose a Jamarcus Bradley, you lose a Khalif Gossett and a, and a uh, Jamal Bell in the offseason, and you have no spring ball. I get that. I understand that. So it's going to take a little time. He's got a young receiving core along with Peter LeBlanc in the second season. But I think over time he's a smart kid. You know, he's, 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 a, he's a film – junkie you know he's he's in there right now probably as we speak and trying to figure it out going into Appalachian State he's taking no days off yeah and he and the Cajuns are trying to do something uh, a week from tomorrow that they've never done ever not them and not any Cajun football team and that's beat App State I mean let's be honest Chris let's not sugarcoat it App State owns the Cajuns right now in football it's a fact I mean you've never beaten them and you gotten to play him a lot. I mean, Coach Napier's only early, you know, three games into his third season, and yet he's already played these guys four times. Is number five the charm? What has to happen, uh, you know, a week from tomorrow for them to get a win in Boone, get that monkey off their back, remain undefeated, and get another leg up in the Sunbelt Conference? Well, I'll tell you what, we're definitely confident. We're going into an atmosphere and a venue that we're pretty aware of. And we've been there, we've practically lived there in the last couple of seasons, uh, almost going twice a year for the past couple of seasons. So I, I don't think that's going to, uh, it's going to have a big effect on us. But I just think overall, one, you got to get healthy. You got to get your guys back from the coronavirus and all that might be as far as contract tracing or actually from a positive test. Who knows? But, uh, you, you, you got to get healthy in that regard, get all your guys back. And I, I, t- I tell you what, I, I made this point last year before we played them on a Wednesday night. You know, you got to find a way to create the rivalry. It, it's not a rivalry until we win a football game. Right now, it's been lopsided. They have owned us in years past. And until we are get real, we'll be respected amongst our league, especially from Appalachian State. You have to win a game there. And Hopefully we can start that trend. We can start that tradition, the rivalry against Appalachia State uh, next uh, Wednesday coming up. But until then, you know, they are the gold standard. And I think that's what Billy Napier is going to be pitching to his players for the next nine days or so or eight days. Let's create a rivalry. Let's create a tradition between us and Appalachia State. And let's just try to flip the script. And I think it could definitely happen. Chris Lano has been our guest, Rage and Cajun alum and uh, Rage and Cajun analyst. Chris, appreciate it, man. Always uh, appreciate the time. Glad you and the wife got to see a win. And uh, even though your confident level uh, might not have been sky high when Nate Snyder went up to uh, to make that kick, uh, what was your reaction after it sailed through? Oh, I tell you, I heard you making a comment about uh, Brian Billy, how we suffered a few bruises. Well, I was punching him in the chest and uh, – also, just just bumping him as well. But we had a good time with him. And uh, wife and I, we, we talked about it the entire ride home. Just what a great experience. We did, I didn't miss the booth one bit that day. I was glad to be in the stands and glad to hang out with friends and see a lot of my colleagues there. And uh, Kevin Belton, Drew Edmondson, guys that I played with back in the day. It was, just, it was very uh, fun to see. But other than that, um uh, you know, it's just, you know, let, let, let's keep it going. Let, let, let's enjoy the ride. Let's keep winning. Let's keep finding ways to win. And, you know, it's going to be a fun ride going forward. All the best, man. Appreciate the time. Uh, all the best to you, the wife, the kids. And I'm sure we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. All right, Scott. Take care. Good stuff. Chris Lano has uh, been our guest talking Region Cajun football. Appreciate that.
Reminder coming up in 20 minutes. We'll talk to another Cajun alum, Emory Hunt, who's a running back back in 1999 and 2000 for Louisiana. Owner and CEO of uh, Football Playbook, the czar of the playbook, author, uh, speaker, and uh, TV studio analyst. Going to get into a lot of football talk with Emory. We'll talk some college football, a little on the Cajuns, get his thoughts on the Tigers, talk a lot of NFL, look back at week three. Coming up next, Doc Rivers. The right move for the Pelicans? Yes? No? Seeing a lot of mixed reaction out there. There is reportedly interest from the Pels. We'll dig into that. And uh, once again, man, sheesh. Patrick Mahomes, good night. Holy cow. Don't lose sight of how incredible of a football player that dude is. I'm telling you. Don't take it for granted. Great Scott Show continues right after this. Welcome back into the show, everybody. I'm Scott Prather. Uh, your weather forecast from the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Dave Baker today. Sunny, high of 74 tonight, clear, and a low of 53. It is, uh, there's a lot going on. The NBA Finals start tomorrow. The Stanley Cup Finals ended last night. And the Major League Baseball playoffs, with its largest pool of teams ever, begins today. The Astros are playing the Twins on at noon on a Tuesday. Okay. Here we go. White Sox and A's on ESPN at 2. Astros, Twins at 1. I'm sorry, I said noon. They're playing at 1. Toronto and Tampa at 4. And uh, the Yankees and Indians at 6. Yes, it is not lost on me that despite all of these teams playing on the playoffs, the Mets are not one of them. Don't worry. You have eight, eight major league playoff games tomorrow. Eight. And you have the NBA Finals. And you have, you know, you're in the thick of the NFL season. Eight. You got another eight on Thursday. So, yeah, I know I get emailed. What about this? Or what about that? Or why aren't you talking about this? I mean, they're, they're just sports overload, man. Sports overload. Including the Pelicans news, and they're not even playing. Doc Rivers and the LA Clippers have reached a mutual decision to part ways. That just means we're not going to officially fire you, but go ahead and step away. Six playoff appearances and seven wins with the teams. And a lot of folks are saying, Oh, you got to go get them. Pelicans are interested. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. He's won a championship. Well, he won a championship the year after a team was really bad, and they just happened to get a lot of really great players in one year. I'm not taking away from it. He deserves credit for that. That was also over 12 years ago. The Clippers have two playoff series wins in the last eight years. I, Doc Rivers, though, it would be fine, but like, it just, huh? 
I don't get the excitement level. I don't. I don't get the the, the huge excitement level surrounding it. It just in the NBA often we talk about retread hires. Okay. Give like like in terms of a young player getting better under Doc Rivers, a young player getting better. I'll give you Rajon Rondo. Who else? And I don't I don't necessarily have a single candidate that I think would be great. Just give me somebody that's going to hold everyone accountable that can bring a a fresh perspective. New way of thinking. Like making the playoffs as, oh, he's got him in the playoffs in a league where half the teams get in, more than half the teams, or just, just excuse me, one, one, 14 of 30. A little less than half the teams get in. I just, I, I, is, that, is that a huge achievement? 2008 was a long time ago. Heck, the year that that he won a championship, the the New Orleans Hornets won 56 games that year with Byron Scott. Most of franchise history. A Pargo three-pointer away from tying a game seven leg that would have sent him to the conference finals if they had gotten by it. That was a long time ago. It was five years before the Hornets were even called the Pelicans. And that was the last time that Doc Rivers won a championship. It's been a minute. And I, I I actually like Doc Rivers. But there's nothing about him that if the Pelicans hired him, I'm gonna sit there and get, you know, let's fist pump. Yeah. And maybe that maybe that hire doesn't exist. But the 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 retreads and just it just feels like a retread. Feels like a, a I don't know. A George Carl or a Tom Thibodeau, or just we're just gonna just gonna keep doing this. It's okay, but there's nothing about it that would get me excited. Okay. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. 10 minutes of the hour. Coming up next hour, we got Emory Hunt at 8 o'clock. Going to talk some more football with him. MLB playoffs start today. Someone's like, hey, who do you like? I mean, who don't you like? I guess you just go with the teams with the best records, but when you have this many teams in the MLB playoffs, this many, to just pick... The Dodgers and the Rays, and say, okay, this is it. They got the best. I mean, they, they could get bounced right out the gate. The pool is so big in the Major League Baseball playoffs. I guess that makes it more fun. I don't think you love it if you're the Rays or the Dodgers, but you only had a 60 game season anyway. So it's not like you, you know, like you have this rite of passage. Well, we had the best record and we grind it. No, it was it was it was condensed. It was condensed. Um 
I would be I would be down with seeing something fresh. You know, give me an upset. I mean, Milwaukee, you know, they finished with a losing record. Do I think they're gonna beat the Dodgers? Of course not. I don't. But the Padres? Give me something fresh. Give me the Padres. The White Sox. Something different, man. Those are the teams I'll be rooting for anyway. Since my team is garbage, you know. The Mets can't get in in a year where it feels like, you know, the entire league's getting in. I mean, the Marlins are in the playoffs for Pete's sake. Come on. The Marlins. <sighs> if you're wondering where you where to find it, the uh, the Astros and Twins will be on ABC the blue, uh, at 1. The Blue Jays and the Rays will be on TBS at 4. White Sox A's on ESPN at 2. Yankees in, in, uh, in Cleveland on uh, ESPN at uh, at 6. And then tomorrow, you got games all day. I mean, Reds, Braves, I think they play at, what, 11 tomorrow on ESPN? It's a whole lot of baseball. Coming up next, we'll visit with Emory Hunt. Was it, it, does he get mesmerized to Patrick Mahomes like I do? Just absolutely mesmerized? I'm telling you, I'll say what I said at the beginning of the show. If you went back to the 1995 Kansas City Chiefs where they were 13-3 and with Steve Bono as their starting quarterback and had a backup named Rich Gannon who actually would go on to win an NFL MVP seven years later. But if you went to them and said, I'm going to show you a time machine of what your quarterback is going to do 25 years from now. And you showed them a highlight of Patrick Mahomes. Maybe the plural, maybe highlights of Patrick Mahomes so you know it's not just one throw, it's just like all of them. You would say, yeah, that looks like the future. That looks like the future. I mean, his off-balance bombs, man. Throwing across the body, on-the-run darts. It is, it's, 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 un- it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, if they're going to come out and start out as fast as they did last night, good luck, AFC. Good luck stopping them. Eric Bieniemy must absolutely love calling plays with Patrick Mahomes as quarterback. You get to be an OC. I mean, imagine if you were an OC with the Giants. How bad are the teams in New York, by the way? That's where Emory's located. I'm, i got to ask him, if the Jets were going to play the Giants, what would be the spread on that game? Who would be favored in that? Yikes. Eesh. Oof. Ah. Stay tuned. Hour number two of the Great Scott Show continues. Emory Hunt joins us next hour. We'll have some open phone lines after we chat with him. Maybe a little sound. From uh, Drew Brees and Emmanuel Sanders. Their thoughts after the Monday night game ended the way it did. Sorry, the Sunday night game ended the way it did. It's all coming up next hour. Don't go anywhere. CSPN 1420.com.
Hello, everybody, and welcome into hour number two of the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. As promised, kicking off this hour with me, one of my favorite guests, friend of the station, friend of the program, owner of the football game plan, czar of the playbook, color analyst, speaker, author, former Raging Cajun running back back in the last millennium, the end of the last millennium. He's not that old. All right. I just want to make it clear, but he's uh, very talented. He knows the sport of football and he is our guest. Emory Hunt joins us now. Good morning, Emory. What is up? Good morning, Scott. I appreciate you as always having me on. You got it, man. Let's, uh, let's start with college football. And then I, I, I want to kind of sink our teeth into NFL after three weeks of the season. Uh, let's start with your alma mater, the Raging Cajun. Saw you on the uh, the old Ross Tucker podcast. Uh, you know, being a stand for uh, for your team. But what do you make of the three and zero start, falling out of the rankings? The job Coach Napier is doing, and uh, how the Cajuns are beginning to be perceived on the national level? Because you're up there, just outside of New York City. We're down here in Cajun country. You know, we're the flagship. We're literally, you know, less than a mile from the stadium. So. You uh you've got kind of more of that national perspective. I'm gonna shut up now and just let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first of all, the three and those start is impressive because they've won in a multitude of ways. They they've shown metal, they've shown uh perseverance, and they've shown that they can carry over what coaches are are always preaching about during, you know, winter workouts, fall camp, summer camp. They're carrying that over to the field, how to fight through adversity. We've seen them come back against Iowa State. We've seen them coming back, come back against uh, Georgia State. We saw them come back against Georgia Southern. We saw guys fight through adversity. Snyder, the kicker, prime example, a guy that missed a lot of kicks but made the 53-yarder when his team needed it the most. So that's an example. You saw how they were down against Iowa State, and they needed two special teams plays to really win that game. And so special teams stepped up and made plays happen. On offense against Georgia State, they needed their offense to kick it into gear. And we saw Elijah Mitchell and Levi Lewis fight back and get that team back in position to win that game with Mitchell winning it in overtime. So you've seen teams, you've seen this team play multiple games in, in different styles and win in different ways. That shows you how impressive their 3-0 start is, which just speaks to how great of a job Coach Napier has done. Uh, when you're able to get guys to buy in, and sometimes the, the students, the student-athletes can't see it themselves, and sometimes coaches can't see it. But when you believe in what you're, what you're saying, the team believes in you that you believe in what you're saying, and they're going out there, no matter the score, no matter the situation, going out there and execute. Imagine last weekend they had a chance to really go into the tank after they gave up that late touchdown to Georgia Southern. But they came right back on the field, marched down the field, and put the ball in the hands of the kicker and said, hey, it's up to you. We know you missed some kicks. Go out there and win it for us. And he did. So Coach Napier has done a fantastic job. I would be shocked if he's not on a short list for coach a year for what he's done in this pandemic and with that football team. Well, they got a big one a week from tomorrow against Stab State, uh, but I know you enjoy following your alma mater, especially when they're uh, they're playing at a high level. Uh, so Napier, you know, obviously has uh, some cachet nationally. The program, how much do you think uh, it's been just elevated, you know, being ranked? I know they're not ranked this week, but just being ranked, having some success, and having a coach whose name is consistently up there when you're talking about elite coaches in the country. 
You know, here's the thing. When you're winning like the Cages are and you're constantly on national television like they have been the first three weeks of the season, it raises the profile nationally, which means you're now a national program, which also means you have now a national recruiting base, which only helps you continue to grow that football team uh, moving forward in that program. Think in terms of how Boise State jumped on the national scene uh, when they were making their run in the early 2000s, and you know, and, and that brought a lot of prominence to the program, and they were able to stockpile recruits and stack top recruiting class, not number one, but very good recruiting classes on top of one another to where their program is now sustained success. You see it with UCF. You see it, you saw it in the 80s with Boston College. So as long as they keep winning and as long as um, they're winning on national TV when people that may not be familiar with the Cajuns program see them win, more people will now take that program seriously in terms of, you know what, I may want to go there and play my college football as, as opposed to staying local. I may, we, I may want to go down to Cajun country um, and take part in the pride of Acadiana and play with the Vermilion and White. So you, you always look at those things, and you may not see it right now uh, while you're in it, but those you know type of things have a lasting effect on the impressionable mind of guys that are in high school right now that's looking to choose where they want to play. Emory Hunt, our guest, ESPN 1420, uh, the CEO and owner of Football Game Plan. Uh, LSU, a, a tough start to them. I said yesterday, way too much talk about Miles Brennan. He fantastic, but he wasn't awful. He was under duress a lot. This is about the defense. I mean, you, you Bo Pelini in his second stint with LSU, um, not off to the best start with that performance on Saturday. Yeah, not not at all, and and it's you know that's what happens when you lose nineteen of twenty players uh, or in coaches on a team that was in a national championship game, probably one of their best teams ever. And you know, I just thought it was you know for them not to be able to handle the pressure as far as like coming from the defense, um, and on defense for them not to be able to adjust to what Mississippi State was doing with their mesh concepts. Um, they have a lot of work to do to get back in the game. Now, they found themselves in the game with the lead. Defense was able to score. Jabril Cox did a great job doing what he was always able to do at North Dakota State, which is, uh, you know, uh, pick off passes. He was able to do that and get a score. So I think they can turn it around. But, man, what a gut punch that was for them in their opener. Um, but it gives them some, some tape to, to work with. It does help them focus on the, the next game. And really could be the turning point for this season. Emory Hunt, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN1420N.com. Uh, in the NFL Week 3, I just know you're up there right next to the Big Apple. And uh, if you're looking for good pro football, uh, look further. Don't look no further. Just look away. Uh, if the Giants and Jets were to play next week, and I know they're not. The Jets play Thursday against the Broncos in a battle of winless teams uh, if the Giants and Jets were to play, who would be favored in that game? I would say that the Giants would. The Giants have at least shown the ability to, to have a functional offense. The Jets right now haven't been able to have a functional offense. Um, and the Giants' defense, I know the last game was a blowout against San Francisco, but I thought early on they played some good football. And throughout the season, early parts of the season, they played Solid football, James Bradbury and Blake Martinez have been really good pre-agent signees for them, and their defensive line has has done a good job uh, early on. And so I think they have enough to work with right now than the Jets, who just look completely uh, discombobulated. 
you know, when the NFL network is running promos and they're trying to sell you on, they literally, they say, we're here for Sam Darnold's, um, what, what was the word they used? They used, uh, ah, gosh, basically insinuating like he's not good yet, but he could be. Like, that's what they were selling the whole game on. I was like, that's not how you want to sell a football game to get people to watch. But it is the NFL. Folks will watch regardless. Oh, that's what it was. It was just, we're here for Sam Darnold's potential. I'm like, ah, you know, I get that's what you got to sell a fan base. But when you're trying to get folks, you know, to watch games around the country, that's just not selling me on it. Um, a lot of folks were mixed on Josh Allen's potential when the Bills took him. But uh, they're 3-0 and right now. He's look, he's fun. I'll tell you that much. He has moments where it's like, what are you doing? And other moments where it's like, holy cow. Uh, wh- the Bills, are they, are they a pretender or a contender in your mind? They are a contender because in this COVID-19 uh, pandemic season that we're dealing with, the biggest key you have to have to have success right now is continuity. And that's what they have, um, to be honest. All five offensive linemen had returned. All five players in the secondary had returned. Um, so when you have those positions, those units that, that are dependent on continuity and communication, and you have that, you're going to be ahead of the game. Plus, you have a quarterback that's improving in areas where he had to improve. And now that part of his game just joins the other part where he was already excelling, which was inside the red zone. So now you have a quarterback playing his best football alongside of a team that has continuity. So the communication is key. So they're making, uh, they're, they're not making that many uh, mistakes mentally. So you don't see busted coverages or blown assignments. So they're playing the best football right now uh, outside of, you know, Seattle, maybe uh, Kansas City. You can tell us Green Band there as well, but Buffalo is right up there when you're talking about the top four teams in the NFL. Emory Hunt, our guest, the Tennessee Titans are 3-0, and but Emory, <laughs> their plus-minus in terms of win differential through three games is six points. I uh, I was, you know, I know that <clears throat> your cousin uh, Norman Locke was um, very much uh, a, a Tennessee guy. He feels like they're a contender. I don't even think they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Now they're three and zero, so so I guess they they have certainly their their chances are much better. We were discussing them before the season started. Where are you on the Titans, pretender or contender? I think they are contender because one, you have to look at two things: um, they can run the ball and they play good defense. Those two things will give you a chance every time, day in day out. Um, second, the division right now is very gettable for them. Uh, the Houston Texans are down, although that's a that's a dangerous team, even though they're 0-3. Um, the Colts right now are 2-1. and They're a very good team, but they have Phillip Rivers. And we know if the game comes down to Phillip Rivers in four minutes left in the game, that's a, that's the a game that's going to go to the other team. So right now, they have a chance to really continue to, to widen that gap in that division. And the AFC, with the seven playoff teams now, um, they have a chance to really you know be a four seed, I believe. So they're, they're a very good football team. They, they have a great coaching staff. Um, their special teams is strong. You saw, we just talked about Coach Napier having that belief in his players. Well, look at Coach Vrabel having that belief in his kicker, Gotkowski, who struggled mightily, but now has become the story the last two weeks because of what he has done when he needed him the most. So that's a, a very good, well-rounded football team, in my opinion. Emory Hunt, owner of Football Game Plan, czar of the playbook, former college football running back, you is uh, at F Ball Game Plan on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Check out all of his great content. He also writes for the Athletic. Uh, Emory, the 
Uh, Saints, you mentioned earlier about the Bills in terms of continuity and that being important in 2020 in the uh, COVID-19 season. Saints have continuity, but the Saints have some struggles. And I know so much nationally is the focus is on Drew Brees. And I'm looking at this defense, man. The last two weeks, they have not looked good. I know they were playing Aaron Rodgers, uh, but they were playing Derek Carr six days before that. Uh, What is your number one concern for the Saints right now? I still think, look, they've got talent on paper. I think the Saints can be okay. But um, but but look, we're down here in Saints country. You're you're originally from down here. You know how fans can get. Where are you at with the Saints in terms of biggest concern? And then the follow up question, I'll just ask now: What's their ceiling here? I can can they right the ship after a one and two start? The biggest concern is Drew Brees' arm strength, and the reason why that's a concern uh, more so than any other year is because he's forty plus years old. And it has really limited the Saints' offense. They can't go deep down the field, which has really hamstrung their passing game. And yeah, people say, "Well, they're not playing without Michael. They're not playing with Michael Thomas." But at the end of the day, if Michael Thomas was out there, they still wouldn't be going deep down the field. So he would just be catching a lot of passes underneath. And, and so when you can't go deep down the field, teams can really play up and play you short, and really just bank on rallying up and making a tackle. And that's what's been happening for the Saints. Plus, their run game isn't as explosive as it has been in years past. Uh, We've seen this team usually be amongst the top five in rushing. And the Saints right now just don't have that threat uh, in that capacity like they usually have in the backfield. Um, They're productive, but they're not dynamic. And that just puts a lot of pressure on on the passing game, which hasn't been uh, explosive or vertical. Think about it. When they turn the ball over against Green Bay, usually when that happens, that was you know, the tell-all sign that Drew Brees was going to come out, they were going to go play action, and he was going to throw a moonshot deep down the field to either Deborah Henderson, Robert Meacham, uh, Ted Ginn. That is not happening anymore. They came out after that turnover and, you know, threw a screen or threw a check down. Like, that's not going to get it done. Um, and I think that's a problem. Plus, you worry a little bit about the defense um, and the secondary having those, those lapses in, in judgment, drawing penalties at the worst time. So there are some questions there. Uh, but they they can get it turned around. Um, they can be a team that can string together a couple of good, good games. And you hope, again, with this seven-playoff team format now, they can be in position to, to get uh, themselves into the playoffs. But they got to worry about the Cowboys. They have to worry about the Rams. Uh, they have to worry about Arizona. Uh, you look at – I think there's probably going to only be uh, – you know, you look at the Packers and, and maybe uh, – one of those teams in, in the North or whatever can make a, another run, but it looks like it's just the Packers, but in their own division, Tampa, Carolina's offense can give you problems. Um, and, and also the Falcons offense can give you problems if they just can't blow it late. So the Saints just have a lot of work cut out for them, um, but it can be done. I don't think we're looking at a number one seed team this year in New Orleans. We're probably looking at more between five to seven. Emory Hunt, our guest. Emory, <clears throat> my counter argument is that the Saints have been bottom five, you know, near the bottom of the league in terms of net yards per pass through the air the last couple of years, and they've won a lot of games. Drew Brees' arm strength hasn't really been there for a couple of years. So why is this year different than the last few? Win 13 games the last few years and 11 the year before that. But what has stopped them from getting to the Super Bowl? Let's you brought that up. Let's go back to the Rams game. Remember, there was a good stretch in that ball well, game. I, I know it kept them from getting to the Super Bowl, and that was that 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 call. That was pretty bad. I know there's yeah, more analysis the there, but that was the that's number one on my list. All right, let's look at that call. 
if Drew Brees' arm is strong, if he puts that ball out in front, that guy doesn't even get a chance to hit the receiver running downfield. The receiver had to slow down and turn around for the ball, which allowed the, the defensive back to get back into the play. That's an example of arm strength. You also look at the pass in overtime going to Michael Thomas, which was low and short. He catches that football. Michael Thomas gets about 20-plus yards and puts them in position to kick a field goal. That's an example of arm strength. Now let's look at the Vikings game. There was, what, two quarters where they didn't even attempt to pass. That was past, what, 11 yards down the field? That's an example of what we're seeing now. So if you look at the last two playoff games and last two playoff exits for New Orleans, a lot of it can't be traced to the fact that Drew Brees just can't threaten deep anymore, and that has really allowed the defense to be in better position to make plays. Look, you're you're not wrong about those points. I think the Vikings bringing their in, you know outside pass rushers inside, really negating the short pass game quite a bit in that game hurt as well. He, I'm not I'm not suggesting to you it's not a weakness. I'm just saying it's been like that for a few years, and they've still been able to win a lot of games. So if the argument is, look, this is why they're they're going to have trouble winning a Super Bowl this year, uh, I'm with it. But if it's well, this is why they're not going to be good anymore. And I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm hearing a lot of that. I just counter with, look, they've been good the last few years, and that's they haven't had the long passing game. I just I look at what the defense has done the last few weeks. No, no, really, no semblance of a pass rush. Um, you know, the secondary they've got good. I mean, Janoris Jenkins is good. Marshawn Lattimore is good, but they haven't looked great. But I think part of that comes without having much of a pass rush. Um, you know, Cam Jordan's getting doubled and shipped a lot. But uh, but he that that's not new either, and yet this year he just you know I think he's got like one quarterback pressure at this point. So this team's got a lot of issues in my mind, and yet I still think on paper, would you agree that they they've got a deep roster on paper? I just I don't know, man. The last the last two weeks I, I have some concern about the the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they got a good team on paper, but you I don't think you're accounting for everybody else getting better. You know, we talk about Atlanta's offense. We talk about Tampa Bay got significantly better. We look at the Panthers' offense that can score. Uh, we also look at Green Bay. It's averaging 35-plus points a game. They've gotten better over the years, and their defense can, you know, get pressure and turn the ball over. You look out west. Seattle is looking strong. The Rams got better over last year, and they were 9-7 and and missed the playoffs. The Cardinals have gotten better over last year. They're looking to, to you know, maybe win that division. It showed last week that, hey, they have a really good coaching staff that understands how to get the most out of their players. So they are a sneaky team that could be a fly in the ointment. I think everybody got better. And and that's the thing. When the Saints, while winning those games, the Bucks weren't the Bucks. The Falcons kind of gave the Saints problems, but so did the Panthers. But they were able to fight out and win those games because, you know, they had a better defense. The defense right now for New Orleans is not playing well. But offensively, if it comes down to a shootout, do you tr- do you truly trust the Saints offense to go out there and go toe-to-toe with someone if they need to go down and, and get quick points? I don't think they have – they're not set up to do that uh, this season. I think that is why you're seeing what you're seeing offensively. Emory Hunt, our guest, owner of Football Game Plan, czar of the playbook and TV host. we got to let you run, man. I know uh, you got a hard out. Always appreciate the time. Guys, go give him a follow on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Appreciate it, man, and uh, let's talk again soon, all right? Appreciate you, Scott. You got it. Good stuff from uh, from Emory Hunt. I'll counter with, I do think about other teams getting better. Um, I don't think Atlanta's better. I think Atlanta's Atlanta. 
I don't know, man. More worried about that defense right now than Drew Brees. That's just me. But uh, good to get a different perspective here from Emory. Again, go give him a, uh, a follow on social media. Check out everything that uh, that he offers. A lot of really good stuff. And, yeah, he said between the Giants and the Jets, he thinks the Giants are uh, a little better. I mean, that's just <clears> – Giants <throat> have been outscored by 41 points this year. Second most in the league in terms of point differential. Minus 41. I mean, that's bad. But you know who's number one? That'd be the Jets. Minus 57. Man, that's a bad football team. Holy cow. Holy cow. 21 after the hour. ESPN 1420N.com. Appreciate all you guys listening. Phone lines are now open at 269-1077-269-1077. We got more in store for you. Including some audio from one Drew Brees. Number nine. What's going on? What's wrong with it? What's happening? We'll dig into all that when we come back right after this. Plus, MLB playoffs starting today. Teams in the college football top 25 poll that perhaps maybe should be in it. We got a whole lot in store for you. Plus, it's Patrick Mahomes' world. We're all just living in it. Anybody realize the, uh, the NHL Stanley Cup championship was won last night? Did you miss that? I woke up this morning. I was like, wait, what? Huh? And Patrick Mahomes' mom is not happy with ESPN's Monday Night Football booth. We'll tell you why next right here. It's ESPN1420.com. Into the great Scotch show, the great sports callers open think tank. See, the literal return of the Mac. You might have missed it. It was three days ago. But amidst everything happening in sports right now, right, we're in football season. High school football locally kicks off in just a few days. The NBA Finals start tomorrow. The NHL Stanley Cup Championship was won last night. Major League Baseball playoffs begin today. Like it went on. You may have missed the return of the Mac. 
Yes, of all the college football conferences said, we're not playing, we're going to delay until the spring, and then the P5 conferences started to come back once the Big Ten said, we're coming back. Then the Pac-12, then the Mountain West. Now the MAC voted, uh, this was three days ago, that they were going to play a a six-game schedule starting in November. Brett McMurphy, the first to report it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The literal return of the Mac, but it's it's not it's not a surprise if you missed that, considering everything happening in the world of sports, including the NFL. Monday Night Football last night. Patrick Mahomes, my God, I I I, I still am just in awe. My jaw will just drop at some of the throws that guy makes. That forty-nine yard off the back foot dime for a touchdown. How does he make it look so easy? How does he make it look so easy? Like Kalei Campbell said after last night's game, they don't give a guy a half a billion dollars for no reason. Now, I always just call him Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick's mom, Randy Mahomes, was not too happy last night. She she tweeted, if this announcer doesn't stop calling my son Pat, ugh, I may scream. Help. Call, you call him Patrick, okay? Call him Patrick. I remember Michael Vick back in the day when he was just doing incredible things on the football field back in, I don't know, 2001, 2002, 2003. His mom was like, guys, my son's name is Michael. Quit calling him Mike. All right. I'd listen to him. I'd listen to him. ESPN1420.com. Uh, emails. You can email the show, scott at ESPN1420.com. You can call the show, 269-1077, or you can tweet the show at ESPN1420. Um, here's an email from Jacques. Yeah, Major League Baseball playoffs. He says, Scott, of the favorites, which team do you think is in danger of getting bounced early? Um, I don't know. I mean, in terms of teams susceptible to an upset, the Tampa Bay Rays won the most games in the American League this season. Uh, can you name a single player on the Rays roster? Anybody out there? I'm not trying to, to be disrespectful to the Rays. But their highest-ranked pitcher, Tyler Glass, now is what, 46th in Major League Baseball if you're going by FWAR, F4? The highest-ranked position player is Randon Lowe. He's at number 16. The Rays are very much a sum-of-the-parts team rather than a star player. But, you know, you run into Cleveland or New York in the second round or something like that. I mean, you're, you're certainly susceptible to an upset. Uh, the Padres, they're young and exciting. They're the team I think most people will be rooting for, unless your favorite team is in the postseason. But you're going to have to beat some really good teams to get there. And two of their best pitchers left their most recent starts with injuries in Mike Clevenger and uh, Denilson Lamette. So not exactly good timing for the Padres as they end of the postseason. Appreciate the email. 
Let's head to the phone lines, 269-1077. Welcome into the show. Hello. Hi. Uh, hey, man, that's something in uh, Major League Baseball. A stat I heard earlier in the week that kind of upset me. Uh, upset me. Uh, the National, uh, American League batting champion. Uh, they said, oh, he's the first guy to win a batting title in both feet. Like, is he really? <laughs> you mean just based on the fact that LeMahieu did it in a season where there's only 60 games? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think <laughs> I think it it's different in, like, the NHL and the NBA when you talk about the bubble because or, – or the oddity of the season because of COVID – because they, there is still a, an extremely difficult level to do what the Lightning did last night and to do what either the Lakers or Heat are going to do. Uh, in Major League Baseball, when you start talking about records and titles and things like that in a season where you only when you play 102 less games, uh, that asterisk needs to, I don't know, maybe you need two asterisks or you need a really big asterisk or something because... Because uh, I'm with you. I mean, he he is the first. He did make history, but uh, so I, how? All right, let me ask you this: How would you approach it? I'm sure they'll put an asterisk. You know, shortened season, uh, just like um, uh, yeah. I'm I'm like you, man. Because uh, what I did, I looked at the uh, '81 season, and they played 110 games, uh, roughly 110 games. And I look at some of the numbers there. You know, I look at the plate appearances. I, I just, I don't know. It has to be COVID season or something. I just, technically, he's, I don't know. I, I mean, he is. Like, like, like you're, you're talking about, for those that don't know, former um, LSU second baseman DJ LeMayu, he won a National League batting title with the Rockies in 2016. And then he batted 376 this year for the Yankees. So second career batting title, first player, I think since 1900 or something to do it in both leagues. But like, how like how do you approach the story? I mean, you have to in, you include that in the story, but like it's not his fault. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know what the right yeah. answer is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know. It's just like when I heard that, like yeah, I, I guess you know. So, um, but what's funny to me, man, I was looking at the numbers. I think the um, boy. How many home runs he hit? 24, 23? Something like that. I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah, I think that's right. No, no the crazy thing about it, I'm going to hang up. The, re, the reason, the home run leader in the 81 season, the strike in the AL, because I think Schmidt had 31 in the National League that year. Had 22, man. I think like three or four men, like Todd. I think um, Eddie Murray was one of those men. Wow. And I think uh, the second baseman for the Angels. But anyway, but yeah, uh, Grinch. But yeah, that's that's crazy when you think about it, man. But anyway, that's all I wanted to ask. You know, yeah, you're right. I don't I don't see Doc Rivers. I don't know why would Doc Rivers want to coach uh, this team in the first place. I just yeah, go with someone younger, someone new, someone give someone else another opportunity. Uh, let's see what happens with that. All right, thank you. Thank you. Those that missed it earlier, Doc Rivers, who uh, mutually agreed to part ways with the Clippers. According to Mark J. Spurs of the Undefeated, the 76ers and Pelicans reached out to Rivers within about an hour of the news breaking um, to, I don't know, not offer him the job. I mean, David Griffin is going to do his due diligence, but certainly reach out, see the interest level, maybe interview. But I, I, I there's some Pelican fans getting really excited about it. I'm like, look, he's 58. Feels like a retread. Yeah, he won a championship, but it was with the Celtics. It was 12 years ago. 
And the year before that, they were not very good. And he did it when, you know, the big three all showed up there. I mean, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett were pretty big different. And other than Rajon Rondo, in all of, of, of Rivers' years coaching, whether it be with the Orlando Magic or the Boston Celtics or or the L.A. Clippers, other than Rondo, who is a young player that really developed strongly into a star under Doc Rivers? I mean, look, Rivers is well-regarded as a coach, as in NBA circles. I like Doc Rivers. I do. I do. And if and if the Pelicans hire him, I'll just it'll just kind of be like, meh, okay, all right, just a retread. Okay, here we go. You know the Doc Rivers, the Tom Thibodeaux's. You know back when George Carl was hired, like eight different times. I exaggerated, but barely. It's just there's no. You want someone that's going to come in, hold a team accountable, be good coming out of timeouts. You know, be good at some of the things Alvin Gentry wasn't, you know, exactly strong at. You wouldn't put that down in his resume and say this is what he was really good at. And so you, and maybe Doc Rivers can do that. I have no idea, but give me. I I would prefer something that's not a retread. Young, fresh ideas, certainly relatable, and can certainly hold everyone on the team accountable. And look. The Pelicans, you've got Zion Williamson and you've got Brandon Ingram and you've got uh, a, a ton of future draft picks, a lot of capital. I mean, New Orleans is an attractive job. Around, You could say it's not. Is this as attractive as the 76ers? Well, I don't know. I mean, you got Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and you're already in the playoffs. I get that. But it's not like the Pelicans are just sitting out there with nothing to work with. You've got ownership that's willing to spend money for the first time in a long time. And you've got uh, David Griffin running the show where he's kind of just got full autonomy to do what he wants to do, pull the trigger on things. So the job is, is certainly more attractive than it used to be. There's no question about that. There's no question about that. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. In terms of players that developed under him, uh, Jay says, what about Tracy McGrady? I guess. I mean, how much did did McGrady really blossom in Orlando? I'd have to go back and look. I mean, that's that's certainly a fair point. But it's not like McGrady. How big of a jump did he make from Toronto to Orlando and then to Houston? Where was his his big, the biggest jump in his game where he really flourished the most? Was it Orlando? Probably Houston, but eh. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But that's fair point. All right. But that also was, what, 20 years ago? It was a long time ago. It's been a while. It's been a while. ESPN 1420.com. Weather update for you from the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Dave Baker. Today it is sunny, a high of 74. And... Tonight, clear a low of 53. That's right. Things are cooling off. Traffic update for you. A vehicle accident reported 10 minutes ago all over on the corner of Southdown Place and West St. Mary Boulevard. Uh, police are there assisting, and uh, there is a fire alarm 
a residential fire alarm at 509 Daphne Drive being reported. Fire department there assisting as well. Um, but right now, overall, traffic doesn't look too bad out there. When we come back, nothing cheap about what the lightning were able to do. There's nothing cheap about what the Heat or the Lakers are going to attempt to do beginning tomorrow night. There's nothing cheap about what the Raging Cajuns were able to do on Saturday against App State. The idea of asterisks, the idea of, well, things are a little different to COVID-19. Hey, in some regards, maybe stuff. We were just talking about DJ LeMayu and the batting title a little bit and others. Let me tell you something. The difficulty level is greater. And I think just looking at what the Lightning did last night in the NHL, whether you're a hockey guy or not, I'm not. But I'll explain why. That thing gets full value in regards to a championship. I'll explain next. It's ESPN1420.com. Welcome back into the Gray Scott Show. Beyond the Game with Steve Peliquin coming up at 9. I can tell you that tomorrow on the show, got a loaded show for you. <clears throat> Seth Lewis of KTC-TV3 will join me. We'll break down the NBA Finals, talk a little high school football, Cajuns, Tigers, Saints, Gerald Broussard will join me for about 15 minutes, break down the Cajuns. Nick Underhill, as good as it gets when it comes to covering the New Orleans Saints from NewOrleans.Football. That's right. Nick Underhill going to be on the show tomorrow as well as uh, you want in-depth analysis beyond a lot of the stuff you're going to hear nationally and other places, but really looking at the film, other things that stand out. I always learn new things when I talk to Nick about the Saints. That's why. He's one of my favorite guests. He will be on the show tomorrow. Don't want to miss it. Don't want to miss it. MLB playoffs start today. NHL playoffs ended last night. Well, you know, they didn't. I mean, they were holding the Stanley Cup up and no one was there and lowest ratings and yada, yada. yada. Nothing cheap about what the Lightning did last night. If you want to talk about level of difficulty in winning a championship, This is right up there near the top. And if it's the Lakers or the Heat, you could say the same thing in the NBA. Okay? You got to win 16 games. You got to live out of a hotel. The the Lightning were at that hotel for 65 days. In the NBA, you're going to be going on like, what, 90-something? To be away from your family for multiple months without the comforts of homes... 
hotel mattresses every single night and spare me the hot take of, actually, it helps them, gets rid of distractions. Yeah, that, I, I buy that if it's maybe for like a week. Not for 65 days, or in the case of the NBA, it's going to be even longer, much longer. Okay? It was July when they started playing games again. It's going to be October by the time the NBA season ends. Being away for that long? Oh, well, you know, once they got far enough, some some folks could come into the bubble and see them. Okay. Still. Go try to do your job at the highest level and be away from all of the comforts of home and your loved ones for multiple months. And if you're somebody that works offshore for months at a time, you don't count here because you're used to it. But everyone else who just works at home and occasionally has to travel for work occasionally, how difficult would that be? Okay? I get it. The celebration's not the same. There's not going to be a parade. There's not, you know... Folks watching from the arena as you skate around the ice with the Stanley Cup. I get it. I get it. But don't tell me for a second that that level of difficulty was less than, that they should put an asterisk next to it. MLB is a little different because it's only 60 games and a whole lot of teams got into the playoffs, and I get that a whole lot of teams got into the NHL playoffs. That makes it even more difficult, though. When it comes to the NHL and the NBA and crowning a champion in the year of our Lord 2020, get the asterisks out. Don't even talk about it because it's not going to be there, nor should it be. Ten minutes till the top of the hour. All right, said I'd give you a little saint sound today. Emmanuel Sanders. Receiver number two for the Saints has had to be receiver number one the last two weeks. Did not fare well against the Raiders. Had some better moments on Sunday night against the Packers. Still still something not quite there yet. Big touchdown at the end of the first half, though. That was a big moment. Wasn't enough, though, and uh, Emmanuel Sanders after the loss. Emmanuel, uh, Coach Payton said that uh, it feels like the team's not – paying attention enough to detail or making too many mistakes and uh, details on both sides of the ball. I mean, how do you, how the players look at it right now, some of the leaders on the team? No, that's the truth. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, the number one thing that I see is, uh, you know, penalties. We got to stop shooting ourselves in the foot, first of all. And, uh, you know, and, and we got to just play a, a smarter brand of football, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, that'll help. You know, I, f- I feel like the past two games for sure, uh, his penalties have have killed us. I mean, it literally gave gave the other opponent points. So we got to stop doing that. Next question is from Luke Johnson. Manuel, is it that it's just kind of frustrating right now that y'all aren't haven't been able to get anything going downfield? It seems like a, like everything has been kind of contained and shorter uh, so far early. On. Yeah, you know, uh, you know that's the way teams are playing us right now. Teams are playing us a lot of cover too. Uh, it's just forcing us to check the ball down, forcing us to run the ball. So uh, I feel like those opportunities have come. And, you know, I'm, 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 I haven't hit the panic, but you know, obviously we're we're one and two. But I know what type of team we got. I know, uh, yeah, I know that we could possibly 
you know, going to run here, uh, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to practice, actually, uh, on Wednesday. And uh, I'm looking forward to next Sunday and uh, the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that because I feel like we got an opportunity to really still do something special, even though the record doesn't say that right now. Next question is from Amy Just. Alvin had almost 200 offensive yards today. Just how big is he, especially right now, when you don't have Michael Thomas and Jared Cook went down and things aren't clicking as much as you would like them to? Yeah. Uh, I told him today, I said, I haven't seen too many running backs as, as, as better than him. And uh, not only that, just dynamic players. I think the only player that I could really compare him to in terms of explosion and just big play capability is Antonio Brown when I was playing with him just jaw-dropping plays over and over and over. And so, uh, you know, I'm happy he's on my team for sure. And speaking of Alvin Kamara, let's hear a little bit from him. It's brief, but uh, to the point. First question is from Luke Johnson. Hey, Alvin, it was a big day for you uh, today individually, obviously, but uh, not enough. So uh, what do you all need to do, in your opinion, to, to just kind of get back on track right now? Uh, I think we just got to find more. We got to find more offense. We got to find more on defense. We got to find more special teams. We all got to do more um, than what's being asked of us right now. Uh, we got to correct the mistakes. It's little things killing us, penalties, um, some of the same, some of the same stuff that's, uh, that went on last week. I mean, just penalties. We got to, we got to play smarter. We got to play, uh, we got to play better. Next question is from Rod Walker. Hey Alvin, just how tough is this? You know, to be playing this way offensively right now. Um, it, it's tough. We don't like losing. We come out uh, every week trying to get a win. So it's tough. Like I said, we just got to put, we got to find more. We got to do more, everybody, uh, individually. For me, for me to Drew to, to, to the tape, everybody, we just got to do more. We got to find more. There's no excuse. Next question is from Amy Just. What did you see on that uh, 50 yards touchdown? The, the end zone. <laughs> That's great. That is great, and that's going to do it for the great Scott Show, the great sports callers, open think tank. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Tomorrow, as I mentioned, Gerald Broussard, Seth Lewis, Nick Underhill. It's going to be a loaded show once again. Steve Pelequin's next with Beyond the Game. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Till next time, don't be a stranger. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN1420.com. It's about time that we said it all.